0: When the Lord was speaking to me on what to share with you, I mean, Wednesdays we don't always do teaching, but I don't get too many opportunities, so I'm giving you some teaching, because we wanted to enter into worship. I wanted it was about worship, and 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 the Lord was filling my heart with the importance of joy and gladness and rejoicing. Not just rejoicing in the trials and tribulations. Remember, there's the jo- rejoicing in the just being joyful stuff. And just how, how cool Psalms is. And so we're going to do some Psalms. So after I do a little bit of teaching, we're going to throw up some, some Psalms, singing praises type Psalms on the screen. And we're going to stand up and we're going to shout out these Psalms as the beginning of our worship time before the band starts. And it's going to be fun. But there's something we have to talk about. We have to talk about a couple things. Uh, or there's different aspects of this. And, uh, you know, one of the aspects is why we don't enter in to worship much. Why we don't um, just long and look forward to and just run to that place of worship, worshiping God and, and honoring Him with our lips and, and just why we don't have gladness as often in our lives, why we aren't filled with joy. There's some things that uh, that the Lord revealed to me. It just so happens I'm, I'm preparing, I teach in the school of ministry, it used to be Old Testament Survey, survey three classes, now it's called Old Testament Survey. Uh, overview, and it's just two classes, because we wanted to make room for a new class. And so I don't teach through every book of the Old Testament, I just kind of go some highlights. And tomorrow night I'm teaching on the tabernacle. And I went through Hebrews again, and I went through Hebrews when I taught on the tabernacle last year, and I went through Hebrews again over the last few days, and it's like I read Hebrews for the first time. And it's like, Wow. Man, there's so much, and if you know anything about Hebrews, and if you know anything about the tabernacle, Hebrews is talking about the tabernacle, and he's talking about the Levitical priesthood, and the priesthood of Jesus, who is the priesthood in, in the order of Melchizedek. and and all that doesn't really is not what I'm here to talk about. But I need to slow down and and talk about God giving some pictures of our relationship with him in the Old Testament. There's a lot of us who just think, oh, Old Testament has law, and so I'm not going there anymore. Oh, I'll go to Psalms and Proverbs and, and, and read bits and pieces, you know, that stuff that's cool that I have highlighted. <laughs> but you don't really go there. Well, all through the Old Testament are types and pictures of Jesus. All through the Old Testament are types and pictures of what God had in mind to do for us to bring him back to himself, and all through the Old Testament, there's types and pictures of us. So that's why the Old Testament is so important. Because guess what? If you didn't know about Adam and his sin, can you really appreciate the cross? You don't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't even be able to comprehend. Well, I don't. I don't get it. What do you mean that that this? this one man brought a uh, caused sin and this, this other man brought life. I don't get it. Well, that's just a, you know, an extreme example of the importance that the Old Testament gives us points of reference for what we truly have in Christ. So if you don't understand some of these important stories of the Old Testament, I don't care how long you go to church, you truly don't understand God's love for you. You can't understand it. You have no point of reference. It's beyond human imagination. It's beyond human comprehension. So God has given us pictures of it. And we're going to talk about one of these pictures right now. One of them is the tabernacle. After they came out of Egypt, it's an exodus, because Moses led an exodus of about two million people. Uh, most of them Jews, but a lot of internationals because Egypt was an international city. It had lots of people there. They have historical documents that a lot of non-Egyptians were leaders, just like Joseph was. They were very American, you know, melting pot type thing. And, oh, you you have talent, we'll raise you up. You know, of course, we saw that in Babylonian uh, culture, too, because, you know, Daniel and stuff. But, well, when they got, when they came out... Something happened. We're not going to cover it, but something happened at Mount Sinai. And they, people made a decision. We don't want to have a personal relationship with you anymore, like you did with our forefathers. Read Hebrews 8. There's a little secret in there. In Hebrews 8, it talks about that. Jeremiah prophesies about the new covenant, that I'm going to write my laws on their mind and in their heart, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and I will remember their sins no more. Beautiful. Jeremiah is quoted in the Hebrews. Well, right in the middle of that, in Jeremiah, there's this little point. It said, I am going to do a new covenant with you, not like I did your forefathers when I took them by the hand, but they rejected my covenant, and so I rejected them. What do you mean? What do you mean rejected your covenant? That's when you started the covenant. No, they rejected my first covenant with Abraham. The covenant of friendship, of relationship, and they said no. So then, when you go back to Exodus, and you find out about Mount Sinai, I know this is history, but follow me. I'm trying to talk slow. Follow me. When they got to Mount Sinai, uh, God said to Moses, "Oh, okay. He just finished uh, uh, defeating the Amalekites for them. He just gave them some water from the rock, which is a whole other beautiful picture of Christ and." And uh, then he said, Moses, tell them that uh, I am going to be, from now on, I am going to be their God. They're going to be my people. I led them out of Egypt by my hand. I will, with under, the, under eagles' wings, will I be their God and take care of them. They will listen to my voice, all this personal stuff. They will listen to my voice, and if they obey what I command, I'm going to take care of them. And so Moses went to the people and he said everything that God said. And this is the, the people of Israel responded Oh, okay, good. Fine, that's good. Yes, give us those rules of commandments and we are able to follow them. You go do your thing, we stay over here. You keep meeting with God, we don't want anything to do with them. After that, no more pillar of smoke at day, no more pillar of fire at night. Now their complaining got killings. All their complaints before nothing. God was patient. He didn't. Moses was mad, but God was patient because He. There was under grace. Just something as simple as that, that they had that covenant. The best way that God planned to have relationship with us was that old way, Adam and Eve walking in the garden in the cool of the night, talking to Abraham like a friend talks to a friend. That is what we have today, but if we don't understand the relationship God had then and then why there was the law for 1500 years because people were rebellious they didn't understand they had no point of reference that all of the nations of the world were evil they were very pagan they had you know child sacrifice sexual sins was just abhorrent well that is what Israel was in the middle of God was setting them apart God said okay I have to help you understand that what you see out here is not of me. So here you go. Here's your rules. All those rules are beautiful. They're wonderful. They're perfect, Paul says, but they were not a good deal. No one could keep them. No one could have relationship with God. So in the middle of this 1,500 years of absence of a a direct relationship with God, God created this tabernacle. So let's look at the tabernacle because this is going to help us understand a dilemma that we're in right now. So, uh, this is the tabernacle. The out, the, all, all that outside part, I mean, inside the, the thing where the, guy, where the priest with the white robe, that's called the outer court. Then we have the bronze altar. Or the, the, they call that the brazen altar. That's where the sacrifices happened. That's where the animals were killed. Then you have the brazen, I mean the bronze laver. So when the priest, the, the sacrifices were killed represents Jesus, all of these have representation of where we're at today. So the brazen altar, or the bronze altar where Jesus, Jesus died on the cross, so this represents Jesus' sacrifice. So if you can imagine someone coming into that courtyard as an unbeliever, they came in with their bull for the sacrifice, and the priest helped them, they, they had to sacrifice it themselves. The, the priest helped them do that sacrifice. That's like us coming to Christ and accepting Christ as a Lord and Savior. The, the sacrifice has been done. That's the bronze altar. Now the priest, when he would go in to the, middle, the first section of the actual tabernacle, he had to wash himself. because it's very important. He had to wash himself in this la- laver. Why? he had to leave all that residual of sin behind. Point number 1. We sometimes we go from that understanding of God's sacrifice for us and we don't wash because the next place is the church. So if we walk in with the blood still on us, maybe even we grab, you know, grab some meat and thinking, you yeah, know, I'm going to go cook this at home. I know that sounds crude, but there's some of us that don't understand that the sacrifice was done once and for all and now you move on. It says we're all priests. Only priests could go into the holy place which is that first room. So I know I'm going fast but just absorb it. You don't have to take notes. Don't take notes in fact. Just absorb this. So the priests had to wash themselves make sure that they were perfectly clean from the sacrifice they just did before they can enter the holy place and that's where they ministered unto the Lord. That's what we do here. Right here is the holy place. In the holy place, there's a lampstand. And that lampstand were seven, well, two pairs of sixes and one in the middle. So seven, it's not a candle stand because what it is is that there's oil all the way inside. Inside the things that come, it's all full of oil, pure olive oil, had to be perfect olive oil. And so these seven lights were continuously filled with oil so those lights never burned out. And so those seven vessels, here's an important one, the seven vessels represent the church, or us as individuals. The oil filling that vessel up represents the spirit, and the flame represents the light of Christ. Christ, the light unto the world. And so these three elements in church is what we do here. This is what we have. The lampstand is the church, uh, us, and the, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is light unto the world like a beacon. Across the way is the table of showbread, and it had 12 loaves there that represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and it represented God's faithfulness like manna, faithfulness to provide for us daily. It's our dependence on God. Eat our daily bread. We have to have bread for sustenance. Well, the Word of God is bread. Jesus' flesh was that representation. And obviously we celebrate communion. And then in the middle, just before you go into the into the holy of holies, there's a a golden and all three of those instruments are overlaid with gold. They're Gold is the, is the symbolism for purity. Outside is bronze, and that's for judgment, for redemption to, from judgment. So they're all gold. But this, this incense represents our prayers continually going before the Lord. They would burn the incense every morning. Is there a reason why we like to have morning quiet times? So those every morning, the priests would burn those incense, and they'd be going up in front of right in front of the veil. Now, the veil... Is a big giant curtain that keeps anybody from going into the holiest of holies. The veil—I can't remember the exact dimensions—but it's somewhere in that 18 inches to three or four feet thick, woven with gold, with woven within it. It's so heavy. I mean, it just—it took—it would take a an engineer to design the curtain rods for that baby. They could not hook up a team of 100 horses on that side, 100 horses on that side, and, and hook up to the top. Those horses could not tear this veil. It was that strong. That represented the body of Christ. The veil is Christ. No one, no one could kill Christ. No one can break Christ. Christ is the creator of this world. He's impenetrable. He's unbreakable. He's, they call him the rock. He's a rock of all ages. Strong as anything. Nothing. 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 Could break Christ, except for the Father and Christ's willingness. So that when that veil was torn, when He died and breathed His last breath, the veil was torn from top to bottom in two, and 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 so was the altar. Represented, the veils open, and this is where I'm getting. Now you probably know where I'm going. We're going into the holy of holies. This is not the holy of holies here. But we now have direct access to the holy of holies, and the brazen altar broken in two. No more sacrifices, and just because of wars and this and that, they have not done any sacrifices since. Why? Because the one sacrifice was already done. The Jews don't think that; they just think it's all political and that kind of stuff. Because they can't get to they can't get to the temple site. So this is a picture, and I want you to I want you to now kind of have that picture in mind that it represents who we are. And God knew, you know, it, this is not an accident. God knew that there was going to be a church age and people were going to need to know that God is so holy. Now, how could we understand God's holiness without the law? Without all those ceremonial things, without this. We would just, we would, we would not understand God. If we did not have all these pictures of of God and, and his holiness, we wouldn't even, maybe we would just flippantly think, I don't need Christ. I could just go into God right now. On the ark were two cherubim facing each other with their wings, and so the wings touched each other. Cherubim is the same creature that was at the east entrance of the Garden of Eden when they got kicked out, and it says these giant cherubim stood there with flaming swords. If anybody stepped a foot in that room during this period, they would die instantly. Well, those two cherubim represent the spiritual reality of the real cherubim that were there. High priest could enter once a year for the Day of Atonement. Once a year, the high priest went in, and all just rigorous ceremonial cleansings for him to get ready, and it was a big honor to be a high priest, went in once a year and sprinkled this annual sacrifice. I can't remember exactly. It was a bull, but... There was a big sacrifice that they did on the altar for the entire nation. They took the blood from that sacrifice, the high priest did, and you know they had all sorts of ceremony, and he went in to a place where the cherubim would kill anybody who's not worthy to be there. And the only person was the high priest appointed by God and in a perfect, perfect order and cleansing. And he came in and he sprinkled the blood all over the altar, And uh, that was the atonement for all of the children of Israel, for every single one of their sins for an entire year. So when that veil was broken, I want to give you guys a little bit of understanding on why it's so hard for you to understand this, why it's so hard for you to say, well, what do you mean entering the Holy of Holies? I know it's hard. Can you imagine when the children of Israel, when when they try to read Hebrews... Today, because it was written to the Jews, He was written to Jewish scholars who were Christians. Hebrews was written to Jewish scholars that, who were Christians, and I'm now I'm kind of segueing into why I'm bringing this up. It was so important that these Jewish followers they, they were learned. These weren't just the, this wasn't just the everyday folk. They were they were the you know the scribes, and they they were the ones that said yes, I believe in Jesus, and okay. And over and over, he's trying to describe what truly happened. Because it's, no, it's mind-boggling. No, no, only the high priest. No, you know, it's so big. We take it just nonchalant. Like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. Jesus is the high priest, and he's... We don't understand it because we don't understand the magnitude of this whole ceremony in the tabernacle. The magnitude of, what do you mean the veil is broken and now we because of what Jesus did for us, can enter into the holy place. Then we kind of revert back to the, what Israel did in the wilderness. No, that's okay, Moses. You just go and tell me what he wants. There's a lot of us that come into the, the holy place, and we listen to Pastor Mark, and we say, Mark, Pastor Mark, just tell us what he wants. Just give us something. I operate better with uh, rules. Just tell me do's and don'ts, and, and, and uh, by the strength of the Holy Spirit within me, I'm going to do all the do's and not do the don'ts. Well, wasn't that what Romans 7 was all about? That doesn't work. Do you understand why I'm being slow here, that there's something here? There's something here. If, if it was this hard for these scholarly Jews who understood the Bible inside and out, that the writer of Hebrews, which is probably Paul, took so much time, he would go over and over and he goes, and probably in five places in the Hebrews, he says a strong statement that I have trouble understanding, but he said, if, if you can hold on to this truth until the end, then you're going to be okay. It almost sounds like you can lose your salvation. That's not what he's talking about. This is so big. If you don't get this, then you're just going to slide right back into trying to approach God your way, by your works. Let's go back to that slide again. So, I don't have to give you a history of religion. We kind of know that religion is man's way to get to God. So even with this culture, we can't help ourselves but to follow in this trap. So hang with me. There's a purpose why I'm really trying to Help you understand what happened back there, but what what happens in a man's heart is they go this direction. They go from the right to the left. They go from the outside in. Oh, okay, good. Sacrifice. All right, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Oh, wash. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm forgetting all. I'm forgetting all that sin. I'm washing the laver. Okay. Ooh, coming in church. This is kind of scary. Okay, I'm in church. and Oh, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, sign me up for that. Okay. Yeah, I want the Holy Spirit. and Oh, prayer. Okay. Yeah, I'll say some prayers. Oh, the the Word. Yeah, I understand that God's my provider, and, and He's going to give me that daily bread. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah, let's keep doing church. I like this. This is kind of cool. Oh, these other priests around here are good looking. I I like these priests. I mean, yeah, let's... Yeah, that's oh we're ministering. Oh yeah, ooh ministering to God. Okay, ministering. Okay, good. We light, some, put some more oil in there, and and we make sure the candles are all lit, and 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 we're ministering. Oh, I could go in. I could go in. Okay, I'm going to go in, and and there's just there's an instinct in us. But you know what? I I kind of feel like a great pretender. I. Oh no, I'm not going to go in. I I know you're supposed to be holy, and I I know if I. If I accepted Jesus for for real and, and if I truly you know had the Holy Spirit within me and I and I'm saying prayers after all and I'm 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 partaking of the Word of God and I'm getting that fed, I okay, yeah, that's what it says. This is my pathway, okay. I but that's not the right pathway. The real deal that happened, it's inside out. God did. outside in even when we have it all the elements down and we get this church thing really down and we got the holy spirit and we got the word and we got the prayer down if we're trying to approach god outside in no wonder when we get to that veil even though it's wide open oh i'm just going to sing praises out here but god The beautiful picture is that it's always been, from the beginning of Old Testament, it's always been inside out. God reaching man. God has done everything we receive. If we think for a moment, if we think for a moment It's something that we have to do. It's lost. I know that doesn't make sense. It's not legalism. It's not, oh, now I have to be perfect in my understanding that it's God coming to me, not me coming to God. No, it's not about the legalism that that might sound like. It's a reality. It's a spiritual truth. We cannot enter in by doing everything right. Even if we do it the prescribed way, we'll get there, and if we don't understand it's Him reaching us and pulling us to that relationship, we get to that veil and we can't go through. I don't want to die. And none of this comes to our consciousness. Our spirit is screaming at us the truth, yet our flesh, we feel like we're the great pretender. We're just going through the motions. After all, I sinned last night. Yeah, you don't know what I did last night. I know. I know. If we are there, we are not going to want to enter in. I knew I wasn't going to be able to go to my notes, but that's okay. Oh, inside the, well, you don't need to show it. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, it's beautiful. So you have the cherubim with their thing. Well, well right there on the top of the chest that holds the, Ark, the, the Ten Commandments and some other things that are, I don't need to tell you about, all that represents his requirements law and, and lots of neat stuff, but it's just, it's about, it's, it's a burden. On top of that is called the mercy seat. That's where God sat. So God's presence, that, that holy of holies during this whole time and then afterwards when they actually created the temple, when Solomon built the temple, it was the same thing, but it was a permanent structure. I'm not sure if it was the same measurements. I'd have i forgot to research that. I think it was a little bigger, but anyway, it's the same thing. And I mean we could go actually we could have a tabernacle uh, class that you know lasted for hours and hours and hours and hours. Not that I know that much stuff, there's just that much depth. The measurements of every piece of furniture represent something. The measurements of the length of the of the tent, the height of the tents, the length of this, the type of wood, I mean everything. The, the scarlet, the blue colors, the gold, the bronze, the, the sheepskin, I mean, everything had representation of us and our quest to have relationship with God. Just tons and tons and tons of symbolism, and I mean, it's just amazing. So that's there, but the main story is that was there for a period of time as a picture of of what truly, because remember, Moses got this vision. When he was on the mountain, God showed him the heavenly tabernacle. And he said, make it like you saw it. And here's the dimensions and here's the requirements. So, in, in, in heaven, understanding this is important. There's something there with this whole thing. And I, I wish I had better words to describe it. If, if you can get this, if I say it again, it's an inside-out deal, not an outside-in. That sounds familiar. That kind of sounds like the law. Israel trying to keep the law. That was an outside-in thing, right? But the truth was, when when Jesus came, we discovered all. It's an inside-out thing. God changes our heart on the inside and then outflows holiness. Yet the law was, you be holy and maybe you'll get, oh no, if you be perfectly holy, then your inside will get right. But then we got the good news. Wow, God is going to implant, it. take out my heart of stone and put in, like I'm just out of body experience seeing this heart of flesh go in, He's going to revive my spirit by His spirit. Whew, I'm a new creation in Christ. And now, out of relationship with Him, I walk in obedience. And I have this freeing, like, oh. I forgot to start my timer. Who has the time? <laughs> 7.30? Okay, thank you. All right, I am going to go to a few scriptures. I'm sorry, this is just how I operate. I mean, it's just easier just to let it come out and hope that you trusted me. <laughs> Trust me, this is not. A, this is. I'm not making this up. All right, let's just go to. You, you, to make it faster, let's just go on the screen. I know that we really like people to open their word and get into it, but let's. I want to give you some scriptures. Let's go to uh, John 1:14. We're going to do that one first. John 1.14 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, when Jesus became the God-man, he tabernacled among us. That's what the word tabernacle means, to dwell with. And of course, in, in also in John, yeah, you don't have these scriptures. Sorry, uh, Emily. Uh, and of course, John also spoke about his, his body being the temple. His body being the temple of God. John 2.19. The first one was John 1.14, and then uh, his temple being the temple was John 2.19. Let's see, we do have this one. Hebrews 10.19-20. We have this one on the screen. Therefore, brothers, since we have this... Uh, I better read about this. Let's see. John 1.14. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 10.19. And I'm not sure if I have uh, New King James. Let's do Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Therefore, brethren, having, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, keep going, and having a high priest over the house of God, so that's talking about what we, just, what we just talked about. And, of course, you can read in Matthew 27, thank you, uh, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So Jesus was our high priest. So we are all priests, so that's why we get to go into the holy place and minister to the Lord and have these ministries of the Holy Spirit and the Word. Uh, but Jesus is our high priest. So let's go on to uh, 22. Let, so because he's our high priest, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. Remember the blood? The blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled on the ark. Having our hearts sprinkled from an, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The water that came out of Jesus' side. That is possible because it's happened. Our evil conscience wants to keep us in condemnation. I mean, there's other scriptures. The bottom line is we are dealing with a situation as Christians where we have shouting at us, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. You did this, you did that, you thought this, you thought that. We have condemnation screaming at us That's the enemy's main tool, is to use our thoughts and our actions against us and to condemn us. That's why the Hebrews, you know, I encourage you, go home and read Hebrews. Now that you understand the tabernacle a little better, you'll understand Hebrews a little better. He goes over and over, and like I said about five times, and he's making such a clear point. He says, if you'll get this and hold on to this until the end You'll be okay. If not, it's not good. And here we are, and we don't grasp it. We need to hear that strong words from Hebrews on how important this is for us to understand it's not about what we do. We don't approach God from the outside in. He came to us. He approached from his holy of holies and he just made a pathway straight and he drew us to himself. And we cannot be holy as a, as a living sacrifice unto God without it being from the inside out. The sprinkling of our heart. Yes, the forgiveness of sins is important, but to get to the holy place, it's the sprinkling of that evil conscience so that we can. Boldly go in, so that we can draw near with full assurance. Now I may be getting this a lot better than you because I, I this I, I've been working on this for a long time. But is it is it getting through? Yeah. Yeah. You understanding what I'm talking about here? This is not, this is not for the faint heart. This is not just, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible told me so. And moving on. No, this is. Oh, that's why that happens Oh, that's why I fall into depression Oh, oh ooh, light bulbs should be starting to go on That's why I'm not getting this That's why I'm feeling like a great pretender That's why I'm waiting for this next shoe to drop That's why I'm always waiting for me to get to that place of spiritual maturity So I'll finally be at that place where I can I could, you know, do all that good stuff But the truth was there all along in Scripture. Mainly, that's what all of Romans is about. That's what all of Hebrews is about. That's what all of Paul's epistles are about. But we don't quite put all the pieces together to understand why he's making such a big deal about this. Because we will never enter the Holy of Holies without that knowledge, without that truth. We must worship. Jesus said you must worship There'll be a day when you must worship the Father in spirit and truth. I'm talking about the truth stuff tonight. Not the spirit. Obviously the spirit is right there. I'm talking about the truth stuff. Until we understand that he completely paid the price, that there's nothing we have to do, Man instinctively feels the need to work at or earn God's favor. God is trying to give us the truth that his favor has been given to us. So here, I wanted to help us get into an attitude of worship. That's why we're doing this first, and now we're going to worship. Because I thought of this like, literally, on my way here. On that picture, I had this, I was drawing all these arrows on the tabernacle, and it was, you know, man outside trying to get into God, you know, going through all these steps. You know, the sacrifice. Oh, Jesus, my Lord, washing, you know, washing all that. We think we're washing all that off us, and we're not. And then going into the church, well, guess what? Uh, for those priests who didn't wash appropriately from the sacrifice when they went into the holy place, dead. Well, we're not under that kind of judgment, so guess what? We go into the holy place, and we're not ready we're not prepared to be here. We haven't truly washed that sacrifice. Oh, it's done. No blood on me. No guts on me. Done and behind me. Then when we get in here, wow, we're just worshiping and we're Holy Spirit's flowing. And, and then when we have that opportunity to enter the Holy of Holies, tears just fall down our face. And we come in on our knees and we just bawl like a baby because we're so happy. We're so happy that God loved us so much that he did all of this to have relationship with me. Oh, it's just so beautiful. So I, I was drawing all those lines and I had this big thing. Man getting to God. Like, you know, basically God pulling man. But the worship... There was a part that's man to God, but it's skipping all the steps, and it's going right to God, and I had this word worship, and then all of a sudden, not until he knows he's worthy, not until I know I'm worthy, can I worship. And it just was like a revelation. Wow, that's why our people had trouble worshiping. They don't think they're worthy. I'm not saying all this to be a downer, guys. I'm saying, I'm, I'm going, you know what? This may sound like, you know, oh, you guys aren't worshiping. Half of you probably are. You wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? You guys are all in. You're going after the Lord. You're going into the throne room. But for the other parts of us, we're wondering why something seems to be missing. doesn't even make sense. Well, why should me feeling worthy have anything to do with this. I just need God to do this, do this, do this, do this. No. Us feeling worthy has everything to do about with it. Yeah, but I still got these problems. Okay, let's start over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's start over. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Remember that great sermon that Pastor Mark did with all these yeah, buts, and then he did the other yeah, buts, you know? Like there's going to be evil to befall you. Yeah, but God in His faithfulness rescued you. So, all of our yeah buts, there's one big giant yeah but. Jesus, my Son, paid for it all. You are perfect in my sight. This is what God is telling you. You are perfect in my sight. He's seeing you spiritually. Yeah, my thoughts, yeah, my, when I did this. No, the body and the mind, What you? What, if your sin was in the body and the mind, he doesn't see it. He sees you perfect because of what Christ did. Yeah, but, no, no. He remembers your sin no more. He sees you, he sees your spirit, you, and it's perfect. And he says, come to me. I want to commune with you like I did with Adam in the garden oh, but I don't know how to come. I know, I just gave you the first step. Worthy. Then the thanksgiving comes so easy.